Welcome to the most energetic, positive, happy, and healthy podcast in the world. Living the dream. Dream stands for diet, rest, exercise, attitude, and meaning. I'm your host, certified health coach, motivational speaker, sober since July of 2016, American Ninja Warrior competitor, two-time world record holder, and ultra-marathoner, Matt Scaletti. Here we go! Welcome back, everyone, to the Living the Dream podcast. I have a stud here with me today, and I can't wait for you to meet him. This is Sydney Kushner, and I said it correctly, and I'm so proud of myself. <laughs> one for one. This is Sydney Kushner. He grew up in Pittsburgh and founded Connecting Champions as a 19-year-old after his friend Lauren passed away from cancer. He graduated with a degree in applied mathematics from Brown University. That's right, Brown University. Sydney was named a top 100 student entrepreneur in the United States by Stanford University. He was featured in Harvard Business Review and Forbes and honored in Pittsburgh's inaugural class of 30 under 30. I told you he was a stud and he is. Sydney, welcome to the show. Thanks, Matt. You're, uh, you're really pumping me up here. I, I don't know if I can live up to this. <laughs> well, actually, we're done with the show, so thanks for coming on. We're out of here. <laughs> you got to go out on top. That's right. right. <laughs> Take a bow and leave. <laughs> well, Sydney, I mean, we'll get into that whole bio because that's just uh, insanely impressive. Can you take us back to before you were a 19-year-old? And I want to ask you some questions about you don't get into Brown and Stanford and all these Ivy League schools without having an insane work ethic. So can you take us back to your childhood and where you learned to just be such a hard worker or, or maybe you're just naturally talented? You tell us. Oh, I, I don't know if I, I don't know. I don't know what the right answer is there, but um, my, my parents would certainly say that I'm just naturally talented, you know, of course. Games, of course. Um, but I, you know, I grew up in, I grew up in a family where um, I was constantly just hearing stories of, of, um, of my grandparents and of my parents and the history of, of how we lived the American dream. And um, my family came here, uh, we're Jewish, to escape the pogroms of Eastern Europe. And we came to America and, you know, the classic, like, came with 17 cents in your pocket sort of thing. And... Um, and we were really fortunate to, you know, my grandfather started a fur store um, in New York and in New Jersey, and um, and my and my um, my grandmother, her dad started, a, or my great grandfather started a, a fur store. My great grandmother start great great grandfather on my grandma's side. Sorry, I'm, I'm no, I get it. I'm with you. <laughs> <laughs> um, started a candy shop, and and so it was one of those things where. I was just constantly learning about making your own and being able to look at your community and, and say, what are some missing pieces of the puzzle and how can I put my family first and make sure that, um, that my, job is, my job here is to create something good in the world, to create a footprint. And, um, and so I was really fortunate that it was just drilled into my head one, the importance of school and education, the importance of working hard, but also 
I remember regularly my, my grandfather and my dad would always tell my sister and I, we just want you to remember, you'll never be the smartest person in the room. And it was always <laughs> like half a joke, but you know, as I've gotten older, it was a great lesson to learn in, in, um, in, in, hum in humbleness is, is making sure that, um, that it is putting in the work that's what's really important. And um, you'll never be the smartest, you'll never be the best, you'll never be the kindest, but you can be you. And, um, and that's something that no one else can be in the world. And so I'm, I'm really fortunate to have a family that no matter what decision I made, I knew that I had a whole group of people behind me. And, and that made me feel in a lot of ways in, invincible, uh, invincible when I, was, when I was a teenager, when I was a little kid also. I, I love that. You can be you. I wrote that down. And I do, I have to disagree with one thing. I think in this uh -oh. room between the two of us, you're probably the smartest person in this room, but maybe outside <laughs> of that, maybe not. <laughs> no, no, I, I'm, I'm talking about in my room. My cat is oh, okay. <laughs> So basically, I mean, you're, you're, this makes a ton of sense. You're getting these values instilled in you in such a young age. And, and it seems like there's, there's, some entrepreneurial values in there as well, which we'll get into that in a second as far as what journey you took. But can you also walk us through what happened when you were 19 years old? Because for listeners and viewers, I don't know the story either. And obviously it's, it's a tragedy, but it almost had like an inspiring effect on your life. Can you just walk us through what happened and how it, how it changed you? Yeah, it's, you know, it's very... I'm, I'm always very interested in sort of hearing people's founding stories when they start something because there's always talk of that light bulb moment, but you don't know that that light bulb is turning on until well after the fact. And so I look back and, and um, I didn't realize at the time how much my friendship with, um, with this girl, Lauren, would change me for the rest of my life. And it was actually when I was 16 that I first met her. We were in a choir together. And I remember sitting on the choir room floor one day and our teacher said to us, your friend Lauren has been diagnosed with a rare form of cancer. She won't be in choir, she won't be in school. This, today, she is in the hospital getting her first round of cancer treatments. And, you know, I. I, it was so hard to conceptualize all of that at once and what that meant. And, you know, my grandfather had been diagnosed with cancer when I was really little, but I didn't remember. Um, I didn't remember that. And, and this was the first time that I, that someone I knew had been diagnosed. And sure enough, we didn't see her again for six months as she was in and out of the hospital getting, getting treatment. And one of the questions that kept, ringing through my head was what can I do to be a helpful friend right now for someone who's clearly going through so much isolation and you know this was pre-Facebook days pre-texting sure. days there was really no way for us to know how she was doing and as a 16 year old I, I couldn't quite find that answer and so a couple years f um, flat uh, fast forwarding, I, um, I was applying to schools and I was fortunate to get into Brown University and I decided that I wanted to study applied mathematics and biology and somehow between that math and science it would get me into the world of pediatric oncology of childhood cancer <laughs> and um, my friend passed away right around that right around that time and 
right right around when she passed away, I, I realized that you know, sitting in organic chemistry and multivariable calculus classes were just not quite doing it for me. And so I, I started volunteering at the local children's hospital in Rhode Island. And I would walk into the room with a big smile on my face and I would ask the kids, what do you want to be when you grow up? And it was amazing to just see their eyes light up as they shared that they wanted to be a dancer, a hockey player, and, and everything in between. Because you could tell that in that moment, they totally forgot about having cancer and they were just kids again. And I can get into, you know, the next chapter, but, but those, were, those were the two moments in my life that I think really, really shaped um, my entire future. And so that's, that's, a, that's a little bit of, of my story leading up, to, um, leading up to when I was 19 years old. And, um, and yeah, so I could get into the rest, but that's, you know. <laughs> no, that was a perfect background. I mean, I can't even imagine what you were going through in your mind and in your heart. Uh, just I've, I guess I was fortunate enough growing up that I didn't have, you know, I didn't lose anyone close. I can't imagine how I would even react. Uh, one question in all of that that I heard from you and I want to ask a follow-up to that is uh, I often talk about powerful questions that you ask yourself and I think you just hit one right on the head. You could have easily said, why is this happening to me? You know, why me? You know, in just negative questions. But I wrote down what you said. You said, what can I do to be helpful to her? And my question is, how important are these questions that you ask yourself and how important are they to ask optimistic and positive, powerful questions versus the opposite? Yeah, I, I mean, in it, there's like I, I see it in the world of, of childhood cancer that I'm in and then I see it in the world outside of that and especially within the world of childhood cancer I I remember when my friend was diagnosed my only understanding of childhood cancer was from the St. Jude commercials and mm -hmm. St. Jude does wonderful work but I was expecting when I was walking in the room to volunteer with with kids that the lights would all be turned off. Everyone would be crying. Every child would look like they're on their deathbed. And, um, and I found out very, very quickly that the kids want absolutely none of that. And you walk into the room and if you can walk in without asking them anything about their cancer, telling them anything about their cancer or doing anything about their cancer, and you just treat them as a kid, in the way that they want to be treated, everything changes. And that's something that I learned from our families is that everyone calls them cancer kids, but they call themselves kids. And there's that disconnect. And if, if you can ask those questions that help, help show that I'm seeing you as who you want to be, not as who everyone else is seeing you as or everyone else is pitying you as, all of a sudden, like it just, you see that light bulb moment in their eyes and it, it brings, um, they're able to bring their brightness into, into our world that they're just like aching to, to bring. So. I, I love how you say that. I, I, <laughs> I think that's so, I wouldn't think about it that way either. And I think what, what you mean is if you could have gone in there and said, Oh, how tough, you know, how tough is this? And then it just, it snowballs into, a negative firestorm, I'm sure. Yeah. 
and 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 to be fair though like on on the other side i i learned especially from from the teens and young adults and just out outside in my world i i've dealt with a lot of um personal issues with mental illness um ever ever since i was a teenager and one of the things that i learned as i was struggling with my mental illness from teens and young adults is how important it is like you said to ask those tough questions and just sit with them. And some of the most important moments in my life, some of the most important lessons I've ever learned are at times when there has been a really scary question in the room, whether that's in my own room, in, in the room in the hospital for, for another, and you just sit there in silence and recognize that we don't, that there is space to feel what we feel and that there is room to not feel it alone. And, um, and so I see there's like that dichotomy is it's important to ask those questions of, um, of helping kids be who they want to be, helping all of us be who we want to be. But there's also the importance of asking questions that acknowledge who we currently are and saying that that's okay. Who you are is, is the most beautiful, the most beautiful way that you can be. And, and we should all recognize that in each other because a, a lot of times we can't recognize it in ourselves. Mm, man, you're like just this wealth of just, he's dropping knowledge on us. This is, <laughs> plus I love how, how quick, like we just go deep. I think that's so cool that you're willing to open up. And for the record, anyone watching, Sydney and I, it's not like we've known each other for 30 years. I mean, he's opening up <laughs> quick and this is so insightful. So I appreciate it. And just be careful with big words like dichotomy because I might be struggling. I might lose you. <laughs> All right. So let's get back a little bit into your story a little bit more. Um, we, we saw all the accolades, which I don't think I've ever seen anybody with Stanford University, Brown, 30 under. Like, Can you walk us through – a little bit of the schooling and being an Ivy League school and how how you were received and how you did there and was it a great experience? What'd you learn and all that stuff? Yeah, it, I, you know, I, I certainly appreciate all, all of the kind words. I, I often I often struggle with with talking about my um, you know all the names because I'm gonna make I you talk about. I'm gonna make you talk about. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, quite frankly, I, I, I grew up with a lot of privilege. You know, I was I was able to go to a great school. I was privileged with my health, with my family, um, and I and and I was able to go to a school that rewarded me for that privilege. And I don't think that it necessary. I certainly don't think that it is a reflection on. Um, on who is better and, and who is not, who is smarter, who is not. And I, I am just very, very fortunate for the privilege that I've had and, and um, the path that I've been able to sort of push, push through. And, um, and that said, Brown, Brown University is a, a really special place. I mean, um, it has its reputation for being very granola um, and, and a little uh, hippy dippy at times also, but some of the stories are true and some aren't. Um, there's definitely some urban legends about um about about our school but um one thing that i was really lucky about and and i'll be honest like this i had no idea this existed when i was um 
when I was first starting there, when I was applying there, but Brown has one of the top, at least at the time, one of the top five student entrepreneurship um, uh, organizations or schools in, in uh, departments in the entire country. And it had its own department specifically for social entrepreneurship, for nonprofits and social enterprises. And, and like I said, I, I mean, I, I went to college wanting to study math and biology, figuring somehow that would get me into the, this, this world, this field. But I never envisioned myself as an entrepreneur. I never envisioned myself starting something. And, um, and to be in a position where it was literally just right there in front of me, um, you know, I, I, it, that, that, that was absolutely essential. And um, I, had a, I had a hard time in college with, um, like I said, with mental health challenges. And it, they were some of the hardest years of my life. But at the same time, it provided the resources that I needed in order to, um, to get to the point it, it, that I am in today. And so for that part, I'm, I'm really grateful. And, um, and one thing that I really appreciate about, um, about the school that I went to is that we are, we're definitely the black sheep of, of a lot of the, um, a lot of the, the schools that are, um, for whatever reason, harder to get into. And, um, and a big part of that is because it is very much not money driven. It is very much community based. Like, I remember touring some other schools and, um, and we were asking about classes and, and a lot of it would be talking about like the ultra, the hyper competitiveness, right? You're taking, you're taking a, a, you're preparing for an exam and you're afraid, you're afraid to study with other people because you need to do better than everyone else because otherwise it drags, it drags the curve up. And so that was something that at my school and in my group of friends, we just threw out the window and it was very much about collaboration. And, um, and, and uh, I, I say all that because it's, it's consistent with um, something we talk about in my family a lot that I was really looking for, which is that um, when you love someone, when you care about someone, it is not about, it's not about, um, maximizing your own personal contentedness or their personal contentedness. It's not always about selflessness or selfishness. It's about, it's about mutual contentedness and being able to ask ourselves, what, what can we do that um, brings the most value to us as a unit? And we looked at that as a family often as well. And that was something that I was fortunate to have um, in college in my group of friends and in the place that I, the school that I went to as well. Oh, I'm so glad you walked us through all that because that's, and I, I have to, I'm writing things down. I wrote down humble because clearly you're proving how humble you are. I mean, he's, this guy is, works his butt off and is extremely intelligent. And, but I think in order to do what you're going to tell us about, you need to have a lot of humbleness and you're just, you're, you're such a human being. I mean, I love how you say you went through these struggles. You had some problems with the mental illness and you're not afraid to say it. I mean, I struggle with alcohol for a decade. I'm not afraid to say it. And I just think for anybody watching or listening to this, it's okay. We're not, nobody's perfect. We all have these setbacks. We're all going through something. And uh, I appreciate you sharing that. So c can you go into what I can't wait to hear about, which is that transition. Well, I shouldn't say transition because you started connecting champions when you were 19. Can you walk us through how, 
how it started, what it is now, and the mission because it's just a powerful thing that you're doing. Thanks. Yeah, and and so that's like a great a great place for me to um, to pick up where where I left off, which is you know seeing those kids' eyes light up and that they were just kids in in those moments. And what was really important about that for me specifically is that it it changed it. It challenged an assumption that I'd had. It changed a narrative that was in my mind. The assumption was that I would walk into this room and that, um, like, a, like we spoke about, that you'd walk into a room full of sadness and full of hopelessness. And, and one of the things that I've learned that is really, really important in order to um, create lasting change is to understand what assumptions you're making. And quite frankly, try to make as few assumptions as possible and ground what you're doing in reality, in, um, in listening, and in, in facts. And so that just turned everything upside down for me, um, being able to, to learn from the kids in that way and, and learn from, um, from the way that they shared, shared their heart you know, and their passion. And so I was getting really excited to see their excitement and, and, and like... What, what a gift it is for someone to share their passion with you, you know? And so I was like really excited about that, but on, but on the same, on the same coin, flipping it over, I was talking with parents and doctors, nurses, social workers, researchers, and I was learning that 84% of kids are surviving cancer medically. And I had no idea it was that high but they're surviving with very serious psychosocial, developmental, and emotional side effects, not just during treatment, but that last oftentimes or sometimes for the rest of their lives. And everyone seemed to be talking about this need for long-term social support, and no one seemed to be providing it. And so I decided as a 19-year-old that my job was to find the organization that provided this support so that I could volunteer for them and help make an impact in that way. And so I searched high and low. I could not for the life of me find it. Um, and so finally I sat down, I was able to get a meeting with the chief pediatric oncologist in um, Children's Hospital of Pittsburgh, where I'm from. And I sat down and I said, Dr. Ritchie, you know, here's my story. I told him about my friend Lauren, about um, my passion for helping, helping kids and her memory. And I said, everyone seems to be talking about this need for long-term social support. Where is it I want to volunteer? And he said, you know, it's not, it's not there. It's something that when everyone is saying we can't find it, it's because it does not currently exist in the way that families are, are asking for it. And so in my naive 19 year old mind, I said, well, I'll give it a shot. <laughs> and uh, 10, years, 10 years later, here I am. And um, we, we hosted a, a pilot program in Pittsburgh with just a couple of kids. Both of them wanted to be baseball players when they grew up. So we paired them with some local baseball players. And then we expanded our pilot program to New England where I was in school. And I was working uh, full time during my senior year on the organization and my, my goal was to, I made a promise to myself and a promise to my parents that I would build the infrastructure for the organization and raise funds so that by the time I graduated, I would be able to have at least one year of organizational stability where I was able to make 
next to nothing, but at least I could tell my parents I was getting a paycheck um, <laughs> for, <laughs> for, for a full year and really give it a shot. And, um, and I was fortunate that I was able to, um, to raise some money through business plan competitions or elevator pitch competitions or grants and um, all different sorts of, you know, just bootstrapping and, and doing everything, everything you can. And so I, I graduated in uh, 2013. I rewarded myself with three days off and immediately <laughs> launched three days later the program formally here in Pittsburgh. And um, I was able to hire my first staff in 2014. And, um, and we developed a pretty historic partnership with Children's Hospital in 2015 where we've been fully integrated into their hospital care team. So in the same way, when a child is diagnosed, they're introduced to their doctor, their social worker, their nurse, they're introduced to us as well. And um, as, of, as of next month, we will be able to say that we have launched our second physical location in West Virginia, which is, I have actually not announced publicly. So this is the, this is the debut. We are. Yes. <laughs> All right. We're, we're getting some big time information. <laughs> there you go. Um, and we have launched in the COVID era, a virtual friendships, a virtual mentorship program in now um, five cities across the country. So it's been um it's been nine years since we were founded our staff is up to five and which feels huge to me by the way yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um and we have paired uh this year we will be celebrating our 250th friendship for for kids ages three to 22 uh or kids and young adults and um we paired kids with over 50 different professions most recently we've paired kids with um, with shark experts in the zoo and with fashion designers who make dresses and everything, ghost hunters, constitutional lawyers, like whatever the kids can imagine, our job is to help them, help them envision, envision themselves in that world after they beat, beat the illness. I love that. And just, this is a perfect segue into, can you give us just so everyone fully understands what exactly is going on? 250 friendships. Can you give us an example of one of them and just sort of how it works and maybe a success story? Clearly, you don't have to use names or anything, but just a story that is powerful. Yeah, absolutely. So our our job is to walk into the kid's room and ask that special question. What do you want to be when you grow up? And or what do you love? A lot of kids don't quite know what they want to be when they grow up yet, and that's okay. I don't know what I want to be when I grow up either. <laughs> you and me both. <laughs> um, and uh, and we then once they tell us what they want to be, our job is to get to know them, get to know their personality, their developmental, social, emotional needs, so that we're finding someone in the local community who not not only does what they want to do but specifically matches their personality and the things that they need. And one of the things that, um, that we do very intentionally is, is we try not to find famous people to be mentors for the kids. And our goal is to find people who can walk into the room and the child can say, I can do that. I can be like them when I grow up. And to have someone that, that you know, is next door in the same community who, um, who you can really, uh, one, one of my favorite, um, one of my favorite friendship ex moments uh, in, was with one of our 17 year olds 
um, Alex wanted to be a space technologist when he grew up. Wow. He was, yeah. <laughs> and, um, and so we paired him with a, a local um, CEO and entrepreneur of a company um, called Astrobotic here in Pittsburgh. I don't know if you've ever heard of them, but no. um, they won. I hadn't either. They won uh, Google's X Prize which is the million dollar competition. Um, they got a grant or they, they got um, a grant from NASA just this year um, to build a, they partnered with DHL and they are considered the DHL to the moon and to the International Space Station. Wow. So anytime someone needs to ship something to the moon or the ISS, they call, they call this company in Pittsburgh and they helped make it happen. <laughs> and so we paired, we were able to pair Alex with, um, with the CEO who went to Carnegie Mellon University, a local college, and, um, and started this organization when he was a grad student. And Al he was giving Alex a tour and talking about his education. And Alex just stopped all of a sudden. And, and, and he looked, he looked at, um, at John and said, you know what, you're me of the future. And oh. I just thought that was like so awesome and adorable and like so quirky and wonderful. Yes. And, um, and, and that, that's what I love about it is that um, for our kids were and our young adults were able to help them envision their life after cancer. And, um, and so I, you know, it's hard you say like, what, what's one of your favorite friendships or what's a, a great moment. It's like, I'm just flooded with all of, all of these memories and um I I would say that uh, one one of my one of my very favorites is um, we met a uh, a thirteen year old girl she was in eighth grade named Sophia who as we were asking what do you want to be when you grow up wouldn't even let us finish the question before she said I know exactly what I want to be when I grow up I want to be a constitutional lawyer that focuses either on criminal justice reform or immigration law. And we were just oh like, whoa, she's a 13 year old and she is like on it. Wow. Um, yeah. <laughs> and so I, we were blown away. And, um, and so we found, we found a local constitutional lawyer um, in her community who, um, who focused on on those two elements of, of what Sophia was interested in. And Ellen was the constitutional lawyer. And Ellen would visit Sophia when she was in the hospital. And one of the things that's really important to us is that we are there every time the, ch the child or the teen or the young adult is there so that they know instead of the hospital being just the place of illness, pricks and prods and, and, um, and talk of cancer, that they know that their special friend is waiting there just for them. Mm -hmm. and so Ellen would be waiting for her in the hospital and they started what they called a two woman book club. And Ellen picked out um, a book. If you've heard of Brian Stevenson, his book, just mercy. Um, he's, yeah. he's one of, he's one of my heroes. Um, he started something called the equal justice initiative. Um, and he spent his entire life uh, representing inmates on death row who are wrongly convicted. I've heard of him. Yes. Yeah. yeah. He is, he is incredible. And so they read his book and they would have their two women book club. And as Sophia got better, she asked her, um, she asked her doctors if it would be okay to meet Ellen out of the hospital. And they were able to meet out in public, not, not in a big crowd yet, but they were able to meet in public and chat about the book and they finished the book. And, 
And then um, to this day, their friendship has been going on, I think, for two years. And um, Ellen has brought Sophia to mock trials to help be wow. one of the jury members, which is really cool. And um, and to um, a, uh, an event with the Innocence Project, where Sophia was able to meet um, one of the uh, the Central Park Five, um, which is really powerful, obviously. And then. One thing that was really, really fun was they found out that Brian Stevenson, the author, was coming to Pittsburgh for the Pittsburgh Speaker Series. Oh, and man. so um, Ellen asked, asked us on the down low, like, could you try to pull some strings and like, can we surprise Sophia and try to get tickets? And of course, like it's a sold out event. Tickets are thousands of dollars, but you know, we did our thing. We pulled some strings. We, we, uh, we, we did our, our networking and sure enough, we were able to get a couple tickets, not just to his speech, um, but also to the like intimate event uh, beforehand of like 30 people. There was a dinner before he spoke and it was amazing. I mean, <laughs> Sophia was at that point, 14 years old and we're going around the dinner table and people are talking about, you know, hi, I'm, I'm so-and-so I'm the, I'm the president of this, or I am the, um, you know, I'm the, the chief executive officer of that. And then we, as everyone's introducing themselves at the dinner table, and then we get to Sophia and she says, I'm, I'm Sophia. I'm 14 years old. Um, I was diagnosed with cancer two years ago. I'm, about to go into my freshman year in high school and I want to be a constitutional lawyer when I grow up. And I mean, the whole room just froze. And when she got to meet Brian Stevenson, she had questions prepared and everything. And it was just absolutely beautiful to be able to see her take that moment and Ellen standing right there next to her as they were truly helping Sophia envision her life and to meet um, and, and to really get a feel for that entire, in, that entire world and picture herself in it. This is amazing. I mean, you're just, <laughs> how could you not smile when you hear some of these stories? I mean, Connecting Champions, you guys are just, you're just, you're delivering a, such a huge amount of hope too, I'm sure, to these kids who get some bad news, but then they see this and they think, oh, I, I can do that in 5, 10, 20, 30 years. It's just, oh, this is just warms my heart. And I need to ask you about if someone's listening or watching this and, and has a skill or they have like, how does it work? Is somebody just call you guys and tell you what they specialize in? And then if one of the kids says, you know, I want to be this, then you connect them or how does the connection happen? That that's exactly it. And so we have, we have sort of two pathways. We have people who reach out to us who um, and, and it's not just people who have cool jobs. It's uh, people who have interesting hobbies as well. I mean, we have, um, we have kids who just love science, love science experiments, love robotics. And so we pair them with people who also love that. And they're able to, I mean, companionship is such an important piece of, of what we do as well. And like I said, helping kids know that someone is waiting there just for them, helping be able to sit in silence or to be able to bring a special activity that they're really excited about into the hospital or bring them out in the community to go to go somewhere that that really energizes them. Um, so it's really any anyone, right? Anyone um, who cares and who has their own passions, which is everyone. Mm -hmm. And um, and so 
we have people who reach out to us through our website, connectingchampions.org, and you can go to Ways to Help and um, reach out to us through the volunteering page. And, um, and we have our pipeline of, of mentors and companions that are, that are already in our pipeline so that when a kid signs up, if we know someone who loves what they love, who's passionate about what they're passionate about, we already have people in our system that we can pair them with. But also, we have a lot of kids who ask for things that are totally new to us. So um, when we had a girl recently tell us that she wanted to be a sled dog racer when she grows up, <laughs> we did not have any sled dog racers in our pipeline. And uh, Google is definitely one of our friends. And it's, it's amazing just how many people, when you, tell that, when you call them up, you cold call them, cold email them, and tell them, hey, um, a kid with cancer wants to be like you when they grow up. I, I mean, people have been so generous with their time and their passion and their, um, and, and, and just their, um, their loving kindness. And so we find a lot of mentors that way also, quite frankly. And, and especially now that we've launched this virtual friendships program, we're looking for mentors all over, all over the country. And we are also, I mean, if anyone knows uh, a child who has cancer, a young adult who has cancer, um, our program is for everyone, especially with this virtual, this virtual component. And so um, we, we want to make sure that any child anywhere, anytime can get the social support that they need in order to better survive this cancer journey. I mean, you make a great point. It's almost like COVID has helped expand who you can reach out to because everything is so virtual now. So it's, uh, yeah. it's feel like you're always good at finding the positive in a setback. <laughs> and I, I have to ask you something on a more personal journey. I mean, we heard about your background, your schooling, you've clearly accomplished so much. You started this nonprofit that's over 10 years old now, right? Um, I can't help but think about the whole story and think, okay, here's a guy who could have easily, as you alluded to, gone a different route, started out making $200,000 a year and been fine financially early on. But instead, to me, you chose a purpose that clearly filled your heart. And it's, it's clear to me that you're living your dream and living your purpose and living your mission. Can you speak to how someone listening or watching this and maybe they're choosing between a 150,000 job or a hundred thousand dollar a year job that they don't want versus a passion and something that they truly have a burning desire to do. And it pays $40,000 a year. How did you make that decision? Because I, to me, I have to acknowledge you because I think that is one of the most amazing, humble, incredible things you could do. Can you speak to that? And was it an easy decision to make? It, you know, can you give us a little insight there? Yeah, that it's 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 a hard question for sure. Um, and it it was the easiest decision of my life in one way, and the hardest decision of my life in another way. And I remember, I I, I like remember the moment when I decided I want to take the leap. And instead of instead of having this be a student group that I passed along. Um, that just sort of lived in its own little bubble. I wanted to try to make this my career and, and make this something that can grow nationwide. And it was absolutely terrifying. <laughs> it was thrilling and terrifying at exactly 
exactly the same time. And I remember calling my parents and I didn't know how they would respond. And that really scared me because like I said, I mean, they've always supported me, but also um, I grew up in a family where um, all, all of my grandparents had, um, they had like professional tracks, you know, it's like you go to school, you study this, then you go to grad school or you go straight into the workforce and it's already mapped out for you. And when I was telling them, that I wanted to do something that had absolutely no map. I was terrified at how they would respond. And I was really fortunate that they were um, completely supportive. And, um, and I needed that just with, especially as a teenager, I, I didn't quite have the self-confidence to be able to do it without, without them, without that support system. And all of the, the emotions that are um, taxing about one of the things I talk a lot about in the, in the social justice world, nonprofit world, or just something where, where you're focused even in a for-profit on creating goodness in the world, because that's not just a nonprofit trait, is, um, is how hard it is to wake up every morning knowing that there is a problem in the world that exists, people are hurting in some way, doing everything you can that day to help solve it and go to bed each night knowing that on paper it looks exactly the same despite your best efforts. And somehow you have to convince yourself that you are doing good, important work. And, um, and that, that's something that I've, that I've always struggled with um, and that makes, makes that leap really, really difficult. Um, but the other thing that, um, the other half of it, the reason I'm bringing it up is like, in a lot of ways, I don't feel like I have a choice. And, I, and I, I don't say that in a way that I'm being forced into it. It's just, I wake up every morning and I know this is, I need, if I am not a part of this, I am not myself. And so that, that's a really weird way of saying like, yes, I'm choosing it, but also I'm not choosing it. Um, and then the other half of it, just like the money side of it, is that uh, maybe this is a controversial thing to say, I, d I don't know, but I believe that money has two purposes. It, it, has, it is to give you safety and it is to give you joy or contentedness or comfort or whatever, whatever you want to define it as. And if you gave me an extra $100,000 a year, I would... I would spend it on being able to do exactly what I do to be able to wake up and work with amazing kids to be able to, um, to be able to be in conversations like this with other people who are changing the world and somehow be in the same breath as you like it is something that, that gives me that contentedness, that joy that I would pay every dollar I had in order to do that. And so, yeah, if, if I'm, what's the purpose of making money if not to use it for something that, um, that makes you happy, that makes your family happy, as long as it is enough that you can take care of yourself, that you can take care of your family as well. And so to me, that's an easy decision. I don't, I could work a desk job and be desk job and be miserable and make 60,000 more dollars. I mean, I'm, I'm just picking a random number. Yeah. Um, I would not be, uh, yeah, but anyway, um, or, or I could take that, that money and invest it into something that would make me happy. And that's an easy decision.
Oh, this is so good. Sydney, he's such a good guy, isn't he? I mean, it's just incredible the stuff that you're doing. And you'll never say, I, I hope at some point you're at, well, maybe I ask you this. Can, can you at this point or at any point, since you're so humble and I feel like you, you're just extremely humble, do you give yourself moments daily, weekly, monthly, yearly to go, wow, like I've created something that's having a huge impact on these kids or are you just so into it it's hard to kind of give yourself that pat on the back i'm i'm not great at it to be perfectly honest and um and, and i i i struggle I, I um when i think about what type of leader or manager i am um there are a few different types that i that i strive to be and that i um that i just sort of uh, am magnetized towards, but but one of them is I'm a um, I'm a deflecting, absorbing manager. When something bad happens, I absorb. Something bad happens, or someone does something wrong, I absorb. I absorb the blame. It's it's on me, guys. Don't worry about it. And if something good happens, whether it's me or someone else, I immediately deflect it and say, that's all you guys. And, and that, that, that's, I'm not trying to say that in a way that like, oh, look at me, I'm so selfless. It's um, because I, I, I think um, it does feed a lot of burnout. I don't think it's the healthiest thing to do. Um, it's something I learned from my grandmother. My, my grandmother was a, um, a hospice care social worker um, for, for her whole life. And so um, she taught me that and the importance of, um, of recognizing that you can't do anything alone. Right. Sure. And, and so, um, I very much feel like I, I, um, that yes, I'm, I'm the founder of this organization, but I believe that there are so many other people in the world who are co-founders of it as well. Sure. Like just because I was the first person that was there doesn't mean I am the only founder. Sure. Um, but that said, I, I definitely, I definitely need to learn how to celebrate more, um, celebrate successes, and and I struggle with that. I've, I've struggled with that my whole life. It's like something good happens, and the first place my brain goes to is like, okay, great. How do we leverage this for more goodness? Mm -hmm. And it's a double-edged sword. It, it helps. It helps. It helps um, with that determination, that motivation. But it also doesn't create that time to like really replenish and. Um, and appreciate um, where you fit in the world, what your role is in the world. I think I just need to start texting you every day. Sydney, look how good you're doing. This is awesome. And then maybe eventually we can get it to sink in. But I, I think I think the biggest takeaway of the whole chat just happened with your leadership. Uh, and it sounds like you learned it from parents and grandparents. But to have a leader when something good happens, they point at other people as being the reason. And then if something bad happens, it's all your fault. And it's so weird because I just posted on social media today, I posted, it's all my fault. And what I meant, what I meant was if, if you shoulder all the blame for anything, whether it's you're in bad health or you're in a bad relationship, if it's all your fault, then you have the power to change it. And I think that's similar in your situation, that. right? I love that. Yeah, I mean, that's and that's exactly what it sounds like you just said. But to have a leader where something good happens and you, I mean, you take 1% of it and spread out the other 99, I think that is a huge takeaway. And, and I'm sure for a lot of people, including myself, that can be tough to do. But I think that's just, oh, that's so powerful. 
Um, what's because you brought up happiness and it sounds like you're, you're living in your, in your happiness, your purpose. What is happiness to you? Is there, Oh man, can you, can you, I know it's not, it it sounds (laughs) like it's a simple question, but I think it's one of the hardest ones to answer for myself, especially too. Yeah, I I'm with you. And, and one caveat that I want to say too, and I know this is a controversial thing as well, but, um, I believe that sadness is as important as happiness. Mm. And, um, and I, I've learned that in my life personally, and I've learned that professionally, but you can't have one without the other. And there's something, happiness feels good and sadness creates good. And, um, and I say that because I, I think back to all of the moments when I knew that my friends would be there that this friend will be there for me forever, or I can count on my family for anything. And they're, they're not during the happy moments where we're riding a roller coaster. (laughs) Of course, those are great memories, but it's like, it's when my great grandmother died, or it's when um, one of us didn't get into the school we wanted to, or um, when, uh, when, when something in the organization happened, and like, we didn't get a we didn't get funding and I was worried that we wouldn't be able to make it, you know, just these different moments where we sat down and I knew just with that person being next to me and through that eye contact and just through the time and love, those are the people that will be there for me forever. And that's why I, I really tried to recognize when feelings of sadness or times of sadness are coming over me to um to cherish them and not just try to put them in my box or like you know i I, i've never been a proponent of like when someone's crying saying it's okay don't cry um i I say it's okay cry Mm -hmm. and um when i try to practice that for myself as well and when when i you know for me happiness is um is presence Mm. with a c with a c not a t and, um, <laughs> I'm glad you. I'm glad you said that. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. Um, and and I think it's we live in a world where our phones are on all day, and um, we're getting emails nonstop, and people are constantly asking us to do something, go somewhere for something, whatever. And um, and when there are those moments where no matter what's going on in the world, you just feel this like peace flow through you and just whether you call it happiness or joy or contentedness or even sadness um that to me is are the best moments in in the world and um you know i i uh i have this theory that that everybody has certain like you know at any given moment in time people have different things that that fit that bill but that they change over over as you grow and I try to always write down what are the things that immediately ground me so that when they're happening, I know to make sure that I'm appreciating that they're happening. So like a silly thing for me is, is the rain. There's something about the rain that no matter how hard my day is, when I'm standing in the rain, it's just perfection. Like everything, everything just, um, just dissipates, disappears. And, um, and so I try to recognize whenever it's raining, like run outside, go run in the rain so that I'm not taking it, taking it for granted. I can't believe, I cannot believe you're saying this. And 
this is going to come out it, not until like around August, but I, I just had two videos where I'm outside in the rain and I just started doing this. I can't believe you just said that. <laughs> I seriously cannot believe you just said that. This is insanity. <laughs> I'm with you. I, 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 I couldn't agree. I've never felt so alive in like I'm six years old yes. than running around there in the rain. Yes, yes. I, I'm, I'm right there with you. I'm so glad that I have some other crazy person who agrees. <laughs> if ever you need a crazy person, you can always count on me. I'm right there with you. <laughs> I think you said something that really got me thinking. I'm sure listeners and viewers as well. I think I have this right. Happiness feels good. Sadness creates good. Is that what you said? Because yeah. I, I really, we may be the opposite in that, not the opposite, but I sometimes when something sad is happening or should be happening, I push it and go, no, no, I'm this optimistic, happy guy. Mm -hmm. I can't let that bother me. But I think you're really making a powerful statement about feel that, right? I mean, I'm not saying to live there for a month, but I mean, right. for half an hour, an hour, if I need to cry and be sad, then that's okay, right? Absolutely. It's, I, 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 I always say the biggest, um, the biggest gift that one person can give another is their vulnerability. Mm. And, and sometimes that, sometimes that's giving your, the vulnerability to yourself. And sometimes it's giving it to um, people that you love and, and you trust. And, and I always think about like when, um, when someone says, Hey, I'm really struggling. Can I get some help? Can you help me? Um, how, how important those moments are, you know, how defining they are and, um, and how, how proud we are when we're able to, step up in that way and i think that it's important that we recognize that we should give that gift to others also and by telling by giving that gift we're inherently practicing our own healthy behaviors too i think i think that's so true and that's a great that's a just really good conversation right there uh <laughs> i'm excited to ask you something because this is probably my most fun question to ask somebody that's extremely humble like you, because it's like my way of getting you to slightly brag about yourself. But uh, what are you, he has no idea this is coming by the way. That's why I'm even more excited. What are you, what are you most proud of? Uh, what am I most proud of? And that's of? just open. It doesn't have to be connecting champions. It could be, but just open-ended. What are you most proud of? Man, that's a hard question. Um, I would say that I am, I was actually just journaling about this wow. um, the other day. Yeah, I'm like tempted. I want to pull up my notes. But um, I think one of the things that I'm, I'm most proud of, and, um, you know, I, I just think it's important to be transparent is, um, is, uh, is what what I have been through in my life with mental illness, with depression, um, I'm, I'm proud, I'm proud of where I am today. And, um, you know, people, and, um, I don't want to like turn the conversation of course, but, um, in a, in a very weird way, that's hard to explain depression. I is one of, one of the most important things that I've ever experienced in my life. And one of the things I'm most grateful for that I've ever experienced in my life, um, because it helped me understand empathy. It helped me understand myself. It helped me understand my purpose in the world. And, um, I don't wish it on anyone. I don't want anyone to 
to have to go through that. But um, but I also try to be really um, I try to be proud of myself that that I um, that I dealt with that that I still deal with it in different ways and that um, and that I that I'm able to be honest about it and vulnerable um, because it's work it's it's work and I'm I'm proud that I'm allowed to be able to um, to say this is a part of who I am and um, and I want to share it and um, <laughs> that's a great so, response thanks I, I would say honestly that's probably the thing that I'm that I am most proud of um, at least personally and then professionally it would be um, the relationships that I have with my coworkers and um, and the people around me like I'm I'm proud that what I'll, I'll say it this way one of the things that brings me the most joy in my job outside of being able to see the kids grow up is when um, when I see two of my coworkers have fun together or joke or hug each other or whatever it may be because um, as the person who is responsible for building the culture is responsible for hiring everyone to be able to see to see two people that that I brought onto our team hug each other in happiness or in sadness like gives me so much so much pride um, I'm proud of them and I'm proud of the organization and um, that th those I would say those are my two answers I think those are two really really good answers and thank you for opening up about a, a topic that I'm sure is I know how personal that is so thanks for being open about it and I I just have to, I don't know if this is a question or a statement, but I think about the, when I went through my trouble with alcohol and it looked like from people seeing me that I had it all together and my life was great and I was just rolling along. Yeah. And now I, I think what it helped me with, which I think is the same thing you're saying, it helps me not to judge people and hopefully including myself because that person that looks like everything's going great and the pictures on social media are perfect. Sometimes that's the one going through the toughest situation. So I appreciate you opening up about that. Yeah, I I, I appreciate your sharing. Also, it's um, I I struggled with that. I mean, social media can be really valuable as a connector, but it can also be um, uh, very isolating because I remember when I was most struggling at my lowest points, going on social media, and it's you have there are two there are two types of personalities on social media it's the people who pretend to be happy all the time or the people who are actually happy all the time. Mm. And whenever, uh, or have it together is another, you use that phrase, and I think that might be even more accurate. Um, and to see people either project or actually show that they are always put together when we're sitting in our own worlds, feeling like things are crumbling or think that, that there is a brokenness about us is so isolating. And, um, and it, it makes it feel like I am, I must be the only person that is, that is feeling this, that is doing this. And I need to fix it because I'm, that I'm not supposed to be this way. And, um, and so when you, when you share, when you're, when you share um, the experiences that you've been through, I, I mean, um, one of the things my grandma always taught me, and, and I, I can tell just in meeting you that, that you practice this too, is that my, my purpose in the world is to make sure that who, whatever the person next to me is feeling, that they, whether it's good or bad, they know that they don't have to feel it alone. And, Ooh, that's good. Um, 
and and you 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 just said that in the way that you talk about your um you know your struggles with with alcohol as well is we don't know that we are not alone until other people speak up and say i've been there too or i am there now um and so i just i i really do sincerely appreciate that you're creating a space that i can share um, my challenges and that you're also, you opened it up by sharing yours too. And, and I, I just really genuinely appreciate that. And I think um, to have a space is, is just so important, especially side by side, everything else that we've talked about, you know? Yes, I absolutely agree. And this is just, uh, well, I, we're going deeper than I ever thought. And I love that. That's the best. This is, this is just great. I, I appreciate this. Okay. So last question before we go into what I call the final five, what's next? Yeah. The, yeah. And by the way, he has no idea. There's going to be a couple ones in there that no, may, may be laughing or crying. I don't know. We're going to find out. Um, so what's next for connecting champions or, or for Sydney or both? Yeah. Um, I, I am really excited about this, this new chapter of the organization being that we are transitioning from a local organization to a national organization. And my, um, so I, I, um, I came up with the idea for the organization on May 31st, 2010. So it was just over 10 years ago. And on May 31st, 2020, um, the big question in my, my mind was, look at all the things we've accomplished and while looking at all the things we've accomplished in the last 10 years, what do I want to accomplish in the next 10 years? And it's a terrifying question, and, but also <laughs> really exciting. And, um, and I see that in, in a lot of ways, this, this, this is it, is being able to build an organization that can help any kid anywhere, anytime. And so that's what's next on, on, a, high, on a high level. Um, Quite specifically, I mean, we are launching our second in-person program. We're building a brand new location in West Virginia um, to help to help children across the entire state. Um, and uh, being a very rural state, they have very different challenges. Um, and so we're really excited. We we hired our, our first um, employee out of state. We have a West Virginia program coordinator. It's like very, I, I we officially just as of last week are registered nonprofit and business in another state and I've read all of the new uh, tax laws and super fun <laughs> stuff so um, so anyway <laughs> sorry that's I great guess, no this I is out, I so exciting <laughs> good hey you should or, or you're in the wrong space right that's great <laughs> oh that yeah. so you got I mean you have some big things happening now and happening in the future. I mean, you alluded to it a couple of times. You said national organization. So I have a feeling it's just going to keep growing. Yeah. Thank you. I, I, I sure hope so. That's the plan. And, um, and honestly, like, you know, I, I was going to say, and personally where I'm going and, and it's just a constant reminder. One, one of the things that I've been trying to work on that I really struggle with is um, seeing myself as, Seeing, seeing myself as more than just the organization, more as um, that my successes and failures aren't entirely the successes and failures of connecting champions. And um, I always struggle with that. And so oftentimes when we talk about like 
strategic plans, right? I'm, I'm, I love doing strategic planning for, for work. And, and it's, it's one of, um, one of the things that I think I'm, um, that I'm best at. And, uh, and yet I don't really do it in my personal life. And part of that is like, I'm very content. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm someone who wants things to stay the same. I love where I am, what I do, um, what I get to be. But, um, but also I just wanted to acknowledge also that it, it is, it is hard. It's, it's hard to define yourself, um, not just as, as your job or not just as the thing that everyone asks about every time, every time I talk with someone, even my family, it's like, Oh, how's connecting champions going? And it's just every time I meet someone, Oh, what do you do? And so, um, it's hard. I I've struggled with that over the years. Yeah, that makes, yeah, that's to the difference between the two, because you're, it seems like you're so involved in, I mean, you are connecting champions for the most part. You started the whole thing. Uh, Okay, I just have to ask this before we go into this final five, just because you brought it up and I'm so curious now. The whole idea of productivity, and I I see what you're doing or I have an idea of what you're doing day to day, which is a ton of things. How do you decide, and I've, I've heard different philosophies on this, so I'm excited to hear what you're going to say. Are you a night before guy where you write down the three to five things you want to do the next day? Do you, the morning of, do you write down or do you just already know and not have to do daily goals? Uh, I, I am a combination of long-term goals. Um, so planning things, planning things far out. I I mean, strategic planning, I, you know, I'm, uh, is something that is a huge part of what we do. So, um, every year we have a team meeting, that we call the um, should we exist meeting. And it's a terrifying question um, because it eventually I hope that um, we don't need to exist. Mm. And, um, and then we ask, well, why? If, if the answer is yes, which so far it always has been, um, the answer is, well, why? What, what are the challenges in the world? If we, were to, if we were to scrap everything, wipe the slate clean and build up an organization from scratch, what would it look like? And it helps our organization change each year. And so when we're making strategic plans, I also want to make sure that they're living, breathing documents. So I'm constantly trying to step back and say, where does this fit into the greater strategic picture? But I'm also someone that um, is a very, very spatial thinker. I don't, I don't naturally think linearly. So um, someone's saying something and I immediately like, I connect with something way over there that's seemingly unrelated or, or way over there. And I'm probably doing this either right now in this question or in this interview, because um, one, I just naturally think that way, but two, I recognize that um, one of um, one of the things that I do that is unique to my team and maybe um, a little bit beyond that is my ability to creatively make connections not just between people, but between ideas. And, um, and so in that sense, I'm just coming up with my to-do list right in the moment. I have <laughs> posted notes everywhere all the time, <laughs> which is not great. Um, and I get made fun of at work a lot for that, but you know, that's, that's my world. So. <laughs> that's right. Oh, I love that. See, I love that. The getting inside your day-to-day life. And I think that's so interesting. Final five. Are you ready, Sydney? I don't know. How, uh, <laughs> I won't know until at the end. I think. You're right. All right. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask you 
five questions. You're going to see if you can answer in one sentence, even though they're, they're tough questions. Let's see how you do. Okay. All right. How do you want to be remembered? <laughs> I told you they're not easy. <laughs> no. Um, I, I want to I be remembered as someone that could be counted on. Mm. See, I love that. Those simple answers. <laughs> I think those are the most powerful. What are you the most thankful for? My family. Love it. Here comes my favorite question. If we see Sydney at some sort of a party of some sort and he's dancing, what is his go-to dance move? <laughs> um, I am known from my little cousin's bat mitzvahs to have invented the lightsaber dance, which I'll just <laughs> let you imagine. So that <laughs> I'm just thinking about Darth Vader uh, with the lightsaber. It's a two-person dance. Oh, two-person dance. Okay. Two-person dance. Maybe we can dub in a video of him doing that or something. We'll figure out a way to do that. There are no videos. (laughs) (laughs) That I have made sure of. All right. What is the biggest obstacle you've overcome? Um, my my depression. Yeah, I would. Yeah. Yeah. Um, who is your hero? That's the last one. Who's your hero? My grandma. Yeah, I love it. You just like, it's like you know all these. And I love that, that you you just seem like you know yourself so well. Uh, okay, in closing. My, well, I should say my other hero outside of my family is um, is probably John Lewis. John Lewis. Who, yeah, who just passed away. And, um, you know, we we will really miss him. But he's, uh, you know, the, the congressman from, from South Carolina, from yeah. Georgia. Yeah. 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 John Lewis. And you also said, who wrote Just Mercy? Brian Stevenson. Brian Stevenson. I'm going to look him up. I want to read that book. Um, <laughs> okay. Just to close out, how can people find you? You already, you already said the website, but say it again and the social media and all that fun stuff. Yeah. Connectingchampions.org and our handles are at connectingchampions or at connectchamps because Twitter forces us to do something <laughs> as is in the nature of Twitter. Um, but yeah, just, just join us. Um, at connectingchampions.org, you can um, you can learn about volunteering. You can read stories on our blog of the different friendships that we've made possible over the years, and um, and just all sorts of all sorts of um, getting getting a good feel for for what we do. And one of the events that's coming up for us is we're hosting something in September called the Toast to 250, and it's to celebrate our 250 friendships all time. And um, we will, for anyone who gets a ticket, send mystery toast boxes that will all open at exactly the same time. One of our teens who wants to be a sports broadcaster when he grows up will lead us all in a toast and we'll celebrate the history of the organization and its future. So that's another thing that people could keep an eye out for as well. What's the date on that? Uh, oh, gosh. Um, we it's just finalized it. I think it's, um, September? it's September 24th, I believe. It's in mid, mid to late September, September. September 24th. It's a Thursday night. Good. September 24th. Sign up now and we can go on connectingchampions.org to get our tickets. Good. Yeah. This is awesome. Thank you for your time, Sydney. You're just, what a great conversation. I mean, thanks for opening up. Thanks for going deep and thanks for just letting us learn about what you're doing and your purpose and your mission and your passion. It's been a great conversation. I appreciate your time. Thank you, Matt. I appreciate you too. I'm I'm sending you a, an e hug oh, over I'm here. I'm back at you. All right, virtual I'm a hugs. <laughs> I am too. I am too. It's killing me to not be able to hug. People. I know. I know. <laughs> virtual hug. 
All right, to be continued. When the world gets back to normal, we'll hug each other. Yes. All <laughs> Thanks, right. Man. Thanks again, Sydney. Thanks for listening to another episode of Living the Dream with Matt Scaletti. I'm so grateful for you. Please share this podcast on your social media so others can benefit from this valuable content. Also, please subscribe to my podcast because if you aren't, I am watching you. (laughs) Check me out on social media and message me if you need me as your keynote speaker. At Matt Scaletti on social media. I respond to all messages. Thanks and I love you so much. Oh, 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 oh,